This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. events, and particularly uh, about Russia and uh, Russia's role in the end days, uh, right up to the very Battle of Armageddon. And uh, the reason why we're sharing that is because of what's happening in Syria at the moment and how Russia is flexing its muscles and uh, trying to impose its, uh, its power in that region and uh, it's a big challenge to the rest of the nations. So we want to look at it scripturally and uh, have a look and see some of these, the very names that are uh, mentioned in the Middle East and uh, they're still relevant today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then tonight to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation 19, we just want to read Uh, Just about three verses at this point in this chapter. We'll come back to it later. Revelation 19. Reading from verse 17. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of the heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, and the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. Let's just stop. No, let's read one more verse. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Come and gather together for the supper of the great God. Now, the supper of the great God is referring to the battle of Armageddon. And this battle will be the mother of all wars. This will be on a scale that is almost unimaginable for us even today. It's such a a slaughter. There are millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of combatants that are going to be in this war. And it's such a slaughter and there's such bloodshed that in chapter 14 of Revelation, it says that blood will flow to the height of a horse's bridle for the space of 1,600 furlongs, which is roughly 180 to 200 miles long, which is roughly the length of the whole of Israel. And so it's going to be in a scale that is beyond our comprehension uh, almost. And so we want to talk tonight about uh, this tremendous battle and the combatants in it and the nations that are going to be involved And we want to get a complete picture of it as much as we can uh, from Scripture. But in order to do that, then we're going to have to look at other Scriptures. We're going to have to look at Daniel. We're going to have to look at Ezekiel. We're going to have to look into the book of Zechariah. You cannot understand Revelation without the keys of the book of Daniel. 
The keys and the visions of Daniel are the keys that open up the book of Revelation. The two go together. And so any Bible student knows that. And I'm just letting you know in advance. So that's why we're going to look. And particularly uh, Ezekiel 38 and 39. And whenever we look at Ezekiel, you're going to see that certain names of certain people and places are mentioned. And again, Bible students believe that that translates into what Russia is today and where Russia is today and who Russia is today. And so that's why I'm saying that this message tonight relates to Russia and her allies right into the very battle of Armageddon and involving the Antichrist uh, himself. And so let's then uh, go to Daniel. Daniel chapter 11 you need to be at. And as you find Daniel chapter 11, I want you to also find uh, Daniel chapter 8. And before we just get into this, let me just give you some kind of a chronology uh, timeline to this. We haven't time tonight, obviously, to go through the whole, through the whole book of Revelation. We, last time we did this, it took us 24 weeks to do it, so we, we can't do it in an hour tonight. But just to let you know that Daniel had certain visions and dreams. And each of these visions and dreams, and I'll share them a little bit with you, uh, related to the coming of the Antichrist and where he would come from and the area he would come from. Uh, for example, in Daniel 2, the king had this dream and Daniel explained what the dream meant and it was a great golden statue. A great statue, sorry, with a gold head and a chest and arms of silver and a belly and thighs of bronze, two legs of iron and two feet with ten toes, which is a mixture of iron and clay. And we know historically that this is speaking of nations that has come against the people of God, that has come against Israel. Mighty nations and empires. The head of gold was the Babylonian Empire. And of course, the chest and arms of silver was the Medo-Persian Medo Empire, which came immediately after the Babylonian Empire. And then after that was the bronze and the thighs, sorry, the belly and the bronze of thighs. Oh, whose teeth have I in tonight? And after that was the, the belly and the thighs of bronze, which spoke of the Grecian Empire. And then the two legs of iron was the Roman Empire, and we know that it divided into east and west. And then the ten toes of iron and clay was a mixture of democracy and military might. And most Bible students believe that that's talking about nations around the Mediterranean, European nations. And most of us believe that it's actually talking about nations that are presently in the European Union. Now, for a long, long time, Bible students, we talked about these ten toes being the ten nations in the common market, but now there's about 26 nations in the common market. And so they said, well, that can't be right, but wait a minute. Wait a minute. That seemed as if that put that out of joint. But that was until Brexit 
Brexit gets a mention in everything, doesn't it? <laughs> Until Britain decided to exit the European Union and suddenly unthinkable, the unthinkable was happening. And of course, Europe was in turmoil. How dare Britain leave the Union? But there's other nations who's not happy with the European Union or currently in it. And some of them, who the European Union is almost bankrupt. That Greece is a basket case financially. Italy's not much better. Hungary, the latest president of Hungary, he's, he's angry at the European Union because of immigration. So things are not well within the EU. So who's to say that a whole bunch of them will leave at some point and maybe reduced to 10? I think that could very well happen. And out of that, out of that revived Roman Empire, those 10 toes, out of that would come the kingdom of the Antichrist. Now Daniel had that vision. Then he had another vision of four beasts. Uh, a lion, a bear, a leopard, and a nondescript beast. And the lion stood for Babylon, and then the bear was the Medo-Persian Empire, and then the leopard, which is very fast, it was the Grecian Empire, and then the nondescript beast that had ten horns. This, again, is the revived Roman Empire. And one of the horns was a little horn that grew to be a big horn. Speaking again of the Antichrist coming out of that. And so all of these visions, uh, they're all one after the other. And it's, it's as if you put three boxes in one box, and you open this box, there's another box, you open that, there's another box. And all of them are being reduced down to try to show us from where the Antichrist is going to come from. Now, of course, all of this has taken place over thousands of years. But we're living now in the very last of the last days. And so when it comes into Ezekiel uh, 38 regarding Russia, you're going to see some names there. And again, most Bible students believe that it's talking about Russia as it is today. And we'll, we'll give you the reasons for that whenever we talk about those names. But here we are in Daniel chapter 8, first of all. And in Daniel chapter 8, well, I was going to read from verse 8. Let me read from verse 1. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, to me, Daniel, after the one that appeared to me the first time. And I saw in the vision, and it so happened while I was looking, that I was in Shushan, the citadel which is in the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision that I was by the river Ulai. And I lifted up my eyes and saw, and there standing beside the river was a ram which had two horns. And the two horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. And this is speaking about the Medo-Persian Empire. And one was stronger than the other. There was Cyrus and there was Darius. And Cyrus was stronger than Darius and came after him. So this is a very accurate description of these nations and empires. And I saw the ram pushing westward and northward and southward, so that no animal could withstand him, nor was there any that could deliver from his hand, but he did according to his will and became great. And as I was considering, suddenly a male goat came from the west across the surface of the whole earth without touching the ground. In other words, this happened suddenly, very, very fast. And the goat had a notable horn between his eyes, and he came to the ram that had two horns, which I had seen standing beside the river, 
and ran at him with furious power. And I saw him confronting the ram, and he was moved with rage against him and attacked the ram and broke his two horns. And there was no power in the ram to withstand him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled him, and there was no one who could deliver the ram from his hand. This is speaking about none other than Alexander the Great who was the head of the Grecian Empire, who was a mighty warrior and strategist, who moved very fast, very quickly, and who defeated the Medo-Persian Empire. But note this, verse 8. Therefore the male goat grew very great. So this is... But when he became strong, the large horn was broken. Alexander the Great at 33 years of age, died a broken man. In fact, he died an alcoholic. He had no more worlds to conquer, and he couldn't take it. And he died a young man, a broken man. The horn was broken. And in place of it, four notable ones came up toward the four winds of the heaven. These are the four generals that he had under him, and they began to divide up the kingdom and out of one of them came a little horn which grew exceedingly great towards the south and towards the east and towards the glorious land now suddenly and this is the thing about prophetic scripture suddenly here we're talking about Alexander the Great we're talking about these four generals that came after him and they divided up into the land to Syria to Greece to Turkey to Egypt but then but then out of them out of that area, and we believe particularly from the north of this area, which is Syria, and that's not saying that Bashar al-Hazam, that's not saying that he is the Antichrist, by the way, but we're trying to pinpoint a rough area. And out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great towards the south, towards the east, and towards the glorious land, which is Israel. The Antichrist, his desire will be to destroy Israel. Every empire that's ever been in the world has come against tiny Israel. So it's more than just an economic thing or a military thing, it's a spiritual thing. Why should a tiny, tiny, tiny little nation get the attention of all the world's empires? There's more to it than that. It's a spiritual thing. And the Antichrist's dream will be to crush Israel, to destroy it. And over the years, even in our lifetimes, some of your lifetimes, you have seen the Hitlers who tried to destroy the Jews. Uh, we've seen the president of Egypt, Nasser, who said, I'm going to drive them into the sea. Of course, he's dead and gone. We saw Yasser Arafat, who wanted to drive them into the sea, and he's dead and gone. And every one that had that purpose to destroy Israel and destroy the Jews, they're all dead and gone. But then there's new ones to come, to follow. And today, the president of Iran and the Ayatollah are determined and say that it shouldn't even exist as a nation, and we want to destroy it. They say this publicly. And so the Antichrist... All of these, by the way, as the precursors of the Antichrist. 
And the Antichrist will come close to doing it. But he too will not succeed. And he too will fail. And so this is letting us know where the Antichrist is going to emanate from, roughly. And then in chapter 11 of Daniel, now, up until verse 36, up to verse 35, we're going to read from verse 36. Uh, most historians believe that it's talking about Antiochus the Great, who was another <laughs> anti-Semite, another one who wanted to destroy Israel and to destroy the Jews. But whenever we come into verse 36, this is talking about the Antichrist. Then the king shall do according to his own will, and he shall exalt and magnify himself above every god, shall speak blasphemies against the god of gods, and shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished for what has been determined shall be done. In other words, God will allow the Antichrist to come and to go so far and then he will step in and we'll see this in scripture in a little bit but he will allow him to come and accomplish what God will allow him to accomplish you know God's got the devil on a leash and the book of Job shows us that principle he can only go so far and then thus no further except with God's permission and it says, he shall regard neither the God of his fathers nor the desire of woman, nor regard any God, for he shall exalt himself above them all. But in their place he shall honor a God of fortresses, or of power, or of military might. And a God which his fathers did not know, he shall honor with gold and silver, the precious stones and pleasant things. Thus he shall act against the strongest fortresses with a foreign God, which he shall acknowledge and advance its glory, and he shall cause them to rule over many and divide the land for gain. So the Antichrist by this time will have a kingdom, and he will be rising up in power. And he will make a pact, and I haven't time to go into all of this. He will make a pact with Israel for seven years, a peace pact. Now, can you imagine if somebody came today who could sort out all the world's problems, who could sort out all the economic disasters, who could sort out all the fighting between the nations, who could sort out the Middle East problem? He would be hailed as a god. I mean, this past four or five presidents of the United States were determined to get a Middle, peace, Middle East peace deal. And they tried everything. There was a roadmap to peace. There was the Oslo Agreement. And all of them fell and faltered and failed. But the Antichrist will have a peace deal with Israel for seven years. But in the midst of the seven years, the Bible tells us, he'll break his promise. And he'll set up a statue of himself in Jerusalem and demand that he's worshipped. And so you can see that's going to be a problem. It's going to be a problem for the Jews. It's going to be a problem for anybody that loves God. But this is what his aim is. But then notice something here in verse 40. And at the time of the end... So we know here we're talking about end times. At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him. 
south is Egypt. Now, we don't know why Egypt is going to go against the Antichrist kingdom. We don't know why. The Bible doesn't tell us why. But for some reason or other, maybe because his kingdom has become powerful and his kingdom now is getting mighty close to Egypt. And nations do not like other nations breathing down their neck, especially superpowers, especially. Superpowers are very... <laughs> they watch carefully other superpowers to see what they're up to to try to match them. So whatever reason, maybe it's to do with oil, maybe it's to do with commerce, whatever reason, it seems to be that Egypt has got to the place where it's having no more of this and they're going to attack the Antichrist kingdom. But look what happens. And the king of the north shall come against him. It's the Antichrist. Like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen with many ships and he shall enter the countries and overwhelm them and pass through. He shall also enter the glorious land, and many countries shall be overthrown. Now, by the way, whenever it talks about, and we'll, and we'll see this in other places, when it talks about chariots and horsemen, in other places it's going to talk about bows and javelins. When God was sharing this with Daniel, and he talked about warfare and explained the armaments. He could only talk to him in the language that he would understand, that he could see. Now, we don't have bows and arrows today. We don't have javelins. We don't fight wars with that. We have guided missiles. We have Apache helicopters. We have laser guns that they're developing. We have all kinds of modern warfare that they couldn't even think about. They couldn't even see, wouldn't even know what they were. So God speaks to them the language they can understand. But for us, we know that today that there's some mighty weapons on the face of the earth and they're getting better and bigger and more destructive as every day goes on. But these shall escape from his hand, Edom, Moab, and the prominent people of Ammon. Now we don't know why these three escaped from his hand other than in the plan of God. We know at one point a remnant of Israel will hide and be hidden, and most believe it's going to be in Petra, which is a natural fortress. So maybe for that reason, God has not allowed him to overtake these three. But for whatever reason, they shall escape. So, it goes on to say, He shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver and over the precious things of Egypt. Also the Libyans and Ethiopians shall follow at his heels. Now, is this talking about the Libyans we know today and the Ethiopians we know today? Is that is it Libya and Ethiopia? Is that the same as today? There's no reason to believe it isn't. Libya, up until a, just a few years ago, was run by a madman, Gaddafi. And then he was ousted under the, you remember the Arab Spring, and he was ousted and killed. And it's been, a, it's been a disaster ever since. At least when he was there, bad as he was, there was some kind of normality and peace. But once he went, the whole country was in an uproar. And, and, and it, just everything's just, just an awful state at the minute. And even those... ISIS people are in there causing all kinds of havoc. Ethiopia 
is the most communist country outside China and Russia, and it's right in North Africa, and it's a communist country. And communism never had any love for the Jews, sure they hadn't, still don't. But news from the East. So it looks as if they will follow the Antichrist. But news from the East and the North shall trouble him. Ah, so here he is. He's fighting at all fronts. He's taken Egypt. He's got Syria. He's got Turkey. He's got Greece. He's got most of Europe. He's got Israel. He's fighting at all fronts. How many knows that whenever an army is fighting in many fronts, it can cause them great problems? When Hitler, against these generals, decided to fight against Russia and open up a Russian front in the winter time of all times, when he could have came and probably taken Britain, but in the providence of God, against the advice of all of his generals, he fought a Russian front. And that's where he lost. And that's basically where he lost the war. That was the beginning end for Hitler. And so here he is, and suddenly he hears there's a problem, and it's coming from the north and from the east. Now, what is the north and the east? The north is Russia, the east is China. The biggest nation on the east is China. China and Russia today are buddies. Whenever Russia just this week in the United Nations try to get a ruling against America and Britain and France for striking Syria, guess who sided with them? China and Bolivia. But China, communist China, and so news from the east and the north shall trouble him. And so it would seem to be at this point here, at some point in Antichrist's rule and in his kingdom, that Russia and China are making noises against him, and he doesn't like it. Again, superpowers are very careful and conscious of other superpowers. And here's this new power, this meteoric rise of this man and his kingdom coming up, threatening everybody, and they don't like it. Russia today, by the way, and I said this this morning, Russia wants to be Russia again. Whenever it was part of the Soviet Union, they ruled the whole Soviet Union. And then when that crashed, they lost all of those states around them, including Ukraine and Latvia and all those, and all the Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan and all of those. But they're wanting to get them back because they want to be that superpower again that they used to be. And they lost a lot of that. But Putin wants that back. And that's why he's saber-rattling. And that's why he's sending bombers up and down the English Channel. And that's why he's sending bombers to, to buzz American warships. He's testing defenses, and he's saying, hey, look, I'm here. You've got to deal with me. I'm a superpower. Forget about China. I'm a big boy now. That's his attitude. And that's what the world's going to have to deal with. But Antichrist is in a very powerful position. Look what happens. 
Therefore he shall go out with great fury to destroy and annihilate many. And he shall plant the tents of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountain. Between what seas? Between the Dead Sea and the Mediterranean Sea and between that's Israel and Jerusalem. And the glorious mountain, maybe that's Jerusalem, maybe it's Mount Moriah, who knows? But listen to this. Yet, in spite of all of his power and all of his bluster and all of his threats and all of his desire to destroy Israel and all of his desire for world domination, in spite of all of that, yet he shall come to his end and no one will help him. And we're going to see his end before tonight's out. And so we're living in a generation that possibly, possibly will see the rise of Antichrist. Could he be living today? Possibly. But we can't say that with any certainty. But he will rise up and the world will know he's arrived and he'll make sure of that. And it'll be a scary time in this world. Very scary. But know that at the end of it, he will be destroyed and his armies will be destroyed because he pushes too far. God always gives the devil enough rope to hang himself. Always. And this Antichrist will be no different. Now I want you to turn to Ezekiel. Ezekiel 38. In Ezekiel 36 and 37, Ezekiel had a, a vision of a valley of dry bones. And the bones were scattered everywhere. And God says, Son of man, can these bones live? And he says, well, Lord, only you know that. Breathe upon them. See what happens. And suddenly, they came to life, bone to his bone. And they stood up, a great army. And God said to Ezekiel, he says, these are my people that were scattered among the nations. The nations became their graveyards, but I am raising them up I am bringing them back. And he brings them back. And right this very day, there's airplanes coming into Israel with Jews from the nations of the world. God's word is accurate and true. There's something like 8.8 million Jews in Israel today. And probably half of them has come from around the world. Some didn't even know why, but they just got this urge to go back to Israel or to live in Israel. Some of them to feel safe, to feel it's the only place I can be defended. Because during the war, no nation would defend them. They were totally defenseless. They didn't have an army. They had nobody. But they says, never again. So we'll go and live in Israel because we've got an army there who will defend us. 
but they were scattered among the nations. And one of the very last nations to allow the Jews to return to Israel was Russia, the one from the north. And they were called refuseniks. The Jews again and again and again tried to get visas, but they constantly refused. And then Mikhail Gorbachev came along with openness. Let's be open. Let's allow these people to go back to their homeland. In the space of 14, 15 years, over a million Russian-speaking immigrants went back to Israel. And they're still going back to this very day from all over the world. When Gary and I was at the Western Wall there about two years ago, there was a bunch of Ethiopian Jews singing, dancing at the Western Wall, so glad they had come home. It's a wonderful thing to see. And there's so many verses that I probably don't really have time to read tonight. I'll read a few of them anyway. Uh, in Ezekiel chapter 11. Let me just, you don't need to turn to these, but let me just read a couple for you. Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 16. Therefore say, thus saith the Lord God, although I have cast them far from among the Gentiles, and although I have scattered them among the countries, yet I shall be a little sanctuary for them in the countries where they have gone. Therefore say, thus saith the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples, assemble you from the countries where you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. Hmm. You know, the, the thing about the Jews going back to Israel is one of the greatest prophetic scriptures being fulfilled in our generation. If you ever want to know is prophecy true, is the Bible correct, you just got to look at these scriptures because you can see it happening before your very eyes. In Ezekiel 34... Verse 11, for thus saith the Lord God, indeed I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out as a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he is among his scattered sheep. So I will seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they've been scattered on a cloudy and dark day. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel in the valleys and all the inhabitant places of the country. And I will feed them in good pasture, and their fold shall be on the high mountains of Israel. Before 1948, for 1900 years, they didn't have their land. And they were scattered among the nations. But in 1948, again the fulfillment of prophetic scripture, they became a nation again in one day. In May the 14th, 1948, they became a nation in one day. And that started, and it was only a trickle at the start, but now it's a deluge of people from all over the world going back to Israel, just as God has said in his word. And 36, verse 8. But ye, O mountains of Israel, you shall shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit to my people Israel, for they are about to come. Ezekiel 37 and verse 11. 
And he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say, Our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves, the graves of the nations. And so over and over and over, and that's just a sample, again and again and again, God promises promises that he would establish them as a nation, as a people. And that's why they're so excited today that President Trump has ordered the American embassy to come from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. It's all part of scriptural fulfillment, by the way. Regardless of what you think of Donald Trump, you may think he's the devil out of hell. I don't care what you think about him, but I know one thing, that is a fulfillment of Scripture. Whether he knows it or not is irrelevant. God can speak through a donkey and did in the Old Testament if he wants to. I'm not saying he's a donkey. <laughs> Don't misunderstand me. But God can use whoever he wants to fulfill his word, and he often does, most unlikely. Ezekiel 38. Is that your phone, Evelyn? Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. <laughs> the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshesh, Meshesh, and Tubal, and prophesy against him, and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshesh, and Tubal. And I will turn you around and put hooks into your jaws and lead you out with all your army, horses and horsemen, all splendidly clothed with great company, with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Again, he's speaking the language you can understand about a great army. If Daniel would think, or Ezekiel would think about a great army, that's what he would think about, shields and bucklers and swords and javelins and chariots and all the rest of it. We would think of something different today. And then he mentions Persia. Persia today is Iran. That was the old Persian empire, Iran. Iran hates Israel with a passion. Iran wants to destroy it. They want to nuke it. They want to blow it off the face of the earth. And Ethiopia and Libya are with them. All of them with shield and helmet. Gomer and all his troops. You know, there's those who believe that Gomer actually is Germany. Now, with respect to Germans today, it's a different generation, but the Germany during the war under Hitler was the most anti-Semite nation on the face of the earth who were determined to destroy every living Jew of the face of the earth. Thankfully, it didn't succeed. And the house of Tagmara which may be Turkey or Syria, by the way. And from the far north and all its troops, many people are with you. Now these names, Gog, Magog, Tubal, Meshach, Gomer, Tagorma. After the flood, remember there was just Noah 
his wife, who is Grace, by the way. Did you know that Noah's wife is called Grace? Because Hebrews says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. <laughs> it's Noah and Grace, whoever her name was. And then there was three sons. And then their wives, eight and all. And from that eight, from that nucleus, then over obviously extended period of time came the nations that are in the world today. And historians, including Josephus, who was a Jewish historian, reckons that when they came out of the ark, that they, they stayed in an area which we would know today as Asia Minor, and in the southern part, which is the area of Russia today. And the word Gog and Magog, Gog just means leader, and Magog means the followers. That's what those two words literally mean, the leader and the followers. But whenever they settled, by the way, in the Caucasus Mountains that run through Russia, in the old language, <laughs> in the old language, it means Fort of Gog or Gog's last stand. And so the Russians today call it Gog. So they put an H at the end of Gok, and they call it Gok. So Gog has become Gok. And whenever they stayed in that area, Japheth and his sons, and you can read in Genesis 9 and 10, his sons were Magog, Meshesh, and Chubal. And then they had sons, Gomer. And then they had sons, uh, Togarma. Now, here's the interesting thing here. They seem to settle in the southern parts of the land, which now we call Russia, and the people who lived near the, these Caucasus Mountains were called Scythians, but the Greeks called them Magogites, and they populated what we believe is now called Russia, and Meshesh, he moved west and founded a city, Meshesh which over the years has had several changes of spellings of that till you get to Moscow. And Tubal, he moved east to what is Siberian region, and there's a town there called Tobolsky. And we know that the suffix ski is a Russian suffix. Tobolsky, T-O-B-O-L. And that sounds like T-U-B-A-L, doesn't it? That sounds pretty close. And further to that, if you're reading the authorized version, you have to think a little bit of this. If you read the authorized version, the old King James, you see where it says chief prince of Meshach. In the Hebrew Bible, it's Rosh, which sounds mighty like Russia, doesn't it? Is all this just a coincidence? What do you think? Do you think that's just coincidental? Or do you not think there's something in it? Do you not think... God is showing us something here. Rosh, by the way, was the tribe that settled in the Volga region of Russia. And so that is why most Bible students believe that Ezekiel 38 is talking about Russia. And Russia has got a history which is not very good, and they do not like the Jews. 
And so it's no surprise then that after the fall of the Soviet Union we mentioned this morning, that Russia was on the back foot. And, and most people thought the Russian bear had died. It was over for it, but it was only in hibernation. And then along comes Vladimir Putin. And Vladimir Putin, an old KGB officer, his aim was to make Russia great again, to make it a superpower again. And that's what he's trying to do. And it looks as if he's doing it. And he's flexing his muscles, and he's showing off his armaments, and he's involved in Syria. And he took the Crimea, to Crimea. he took that part of the Ukraine, which is close to the Russian border, because he actually would love all of the Ukraine and all of those satellite nations that was under the USSR. He wants them all back again. And he did the same with Georgia, but they fought him in that too. And so he would love to get all that back into one great big block, a big superpower. And who's to say he won't do that, by the way? You know, our friends in the Ukraine, and we go there, uh, uh, you know, they, they said for 70 years under communism they didn't have the freedom of church that they have today. And they said the reason why we are so <laughs> fervent and have so many meetings and reach out so much because he says all this could stop one day. And he told us that long before the Crimea area was taken by the Russians, long before the Eastern Front became a war zone, he told us, he says, we could lose this again. Because he says, Russia wants to come back. They want to get the Ukraine. Ukraine was the breadbasket of the Soviet Union for years. It's a very fertile land. And so, here we are considering this to be Russia. At some point along the way, even though Russia and China seem to have a confrontation against the Antichrist and his forces, but at some point along the way, the Antichrist beat them. And then they joined forces together with other nations to come against the common enemy, which was Israel. So watch out for this. Keep an eye on what's happening in the news because these things are getting close. And so, verse 7. Prepare yourself and be ready, you and all your companies that are gathered about you, and be, in guard, be a guard for them. And after many days you will be visited. In the latter years you will come into the land of those brought back from the sword and gathered for many people on the mountains of Israel, which had long been desolate, and they were brought out of the nations, and now all of them dwell safely. You will ascend, come and make a storm, covering the land like a cloud, you and all your troops and many peoples with you. Now, it seemed to be that during this seven-year period, this peace deal that Antichrist has set up, for the first year and three and a half years was peace for Israel. And how they long for peace today. They're constantly being threatened. Rockets is firing at them all the time, even though it's not on your news. There's 10,000 rockets in Syria that are pointed at Israel right now. And, and sometimes they have like 20 seconds to run for cover. That's the threat they're living under. No wonder they fight back. And when they fight back, the war's against them. But there's going to be a period when they're at peace and they think this is wonderful. 
and they relax their defenses because they're at peace. Nobody's touching them. Nobody's bothering them. The Antichrist, he's bothering other nations, but he hasn't bothered them yet. He's given them peace. But that only lasts for three and a half years. And then the beast that's in him will come out and he'll break that peace bond. And then all hell will break loose at that point. And so he says, Thus saith the Lord God, on that day it shall come to pass that thoughts will arise in your mind and you will make an evil plan. And you will say, I will go up against the land of unwalled villages. I will go to a peaceful people who dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars or gates to take plunder and to take booty and to stretch out your hand against the waste places that are again inhabited and against the people gathered from the nations who have acquired livestock and goods and who dwell in the midst of the land. What would be the booty to take in Israel? Sure, it's only a wee tiny country. The Dead Sea, the Dead Sea is an absolute prize. Magnesium and potash in abundance. And anybody that controls that, there's a fortune in it. An absolute fortune. Plus Israel today, their technology is the best in the world. It's second to none. All these people that's against buying stuff from Israel, forget about your phones, forget about your tablets, forget about your high-tech stuff, because that's, that's where the chips are made. And so the hypocrites who say, boycott Israel, okay, give up your phone, give up your iPods, give up your tablets, because that's where it's coming out of today. Sheba, Dedan, the merchants of Tarshish, Sheba and Dedan, Arab nations, Arab countries. And all their young lions will say to you, have you come to take plunder? Have you gathered your army to take booty, to carry away silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods, to take away plunder? That sounds like the United Nations to me. You know, when a superpower, when a superpower goes against the nation, the United Nations come together and they just talk, 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 and they end up doing nothing. They're a toothless dog. They do nothing. And that's why superpowers is not afraid of them. They know all they'll do is talk about it and threaten, but they don't do anything. So whether it's China or Russia or America or whoever it is, they don't care. You can sit there and talk all day. I know you're going to do nothing. You say, are you really going to attack that big country? Are you really going to attack Israel? Yes, what are you going to do about it? Oh, nothing, we're just asking. That's what the UN does. They make all these resolutions that doesn't amount to hell of beans. Nothing. Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say to Gog, thus saith the Lord God, on that day when my people Israel dwell safely, will you not know it? Then you will come from your place out of the far north, you and many peoples with you, all of them riding on horses, a great company and a mighty army. By the way, just as a wee aside, I was talking here about horses. Now, when it comes to the battle of Armageddon, there's no question, why would it not be this way, that modern warfare is going to be used. But isn't it interesting that both Russia and China are the two greatest exponents of horses and armies in the whole world. And isn't it interesting that Russia and Afghanistan were beaten 
by men on horseback, the Taliban, who lived in the mountains, and the only transport you could use was horses. But I'll just leave that for your thoughts. Where did I finish there? Who's been, what, who's been listening? What verse? Verse 15. Thank you, my dear. Then you will come from your place out of the far north, you and many peoples with you all, all of them riding on horses, a great company and a mighty army. You will come up against my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land, and it will be in the latter days. So we're talking about end times, but note this. And it will be in the latter days that I will bring you against my land. See, these nations think they're in control. They think they're the ones who's doing this. But God says, I'm bringing you against my land. Why would he do that? Because that's where he's going to defeat them. He's bringing them there. He's put hooks in their jaws. He's drawing them there to the valley of Megiddo, the valley of Jehoshaphat, the valley of Jezreel, Armageddon. It's all synonymous. That's where he's bringing them. You know, they reckon that's the greatest theater for war in the world. And he's bringing them there. And they don't even know that. They think they're going there. He's bringing them there. Hmm. And I will bring you against my land so that the nations may know me when I am hallowed in you, O God, before their eyes. Thus saith the Lord God, are you he whom I have spoken in former days by my servants, the prophets of Israel, who prophesied for years in those days that I would bring you against them? Huh. And it will come to pass at the same time when God comes against the land of Israel, saith the Lord God, that my fury will show in my face. For in my jealousy and in my fire of my wrath I have spoken. Surely in that day there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel, so that the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and the beasts of the fields and all creeping things that creep on the earth and all men who are on the face of the earth shall shake at my presence. And the mountains shall be thrown down the steep places shall fall and every wall shall fall to the ground and I will call for a sword against Gog throughout all my mountains saith the Lord God every man's sword will be against his brother in this great battle and it will only go so far and the Lord himself will show up and there will be a great earthquake and fear will strike the hearts of the combatants and they will start to fight against each other. Confusion will abound. You know, all throughout the Old Testament, you can read about Israel. When armies came against them, God confused them and they fought against themselves. During the Six-Day War in Israel, 100 Israeli soldiers were coming down a road and 2,000 Egyptian soldiers were hiding, waiting to annihilate them. But whenever the Israeli soldiers came down the road, they actually captured, took captive 2,000 Egyptian soldiers and the Egyptian colonels later says, why did you allow that to happen? There was only 100 of them, there's 2,000 of you. He says, we know that now, but when we looked up the road, we saw thousands of them. Israeli pilot says we can't explain what was happening. We, we, there's things we saw we cannot explain to you what happened. We were just amazed. 200 million Arabs surrounding Israel. All of them wanting to destroy it. And in six days, 
Israel reduced their armies and their navies and their air force to rubble in six days. The greatest military victory in all warfare in the history of the world. They still study it to this day because they can't understand how it happened. How did it happen? Because God was in it. The very angels of God was with them. And you see that throughout the whole of the Old Testament. And so it goes on to say, and I will bring him to judgment with pestilence and bloodshed. And I will rain down on him on his trips on the many peoples who are with him, flooding rain, great hailstones, fire and brimstone. Thus I will magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. And you, son of man, prophesy against Gog and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshesh, and Tubal, and I will turn you around and lead you on. Now that's a poor translation. And it says, I will lead you on. The AV puts it better. And leave but a sixth part of thee. Russia and its allies here in cahoots with the Antichrist forces coming against Israel will be so destroyed that only be a sixth part of them left. So why did he leave any of them? Well, you need to go further into Revelation to find that out. We haven't time for that tonight. But only a sixth of them will be left. Such will be the, the defeat and the slaughter. And I will turn you around and lead you on or leave but a sixth part of thee bringing you up from the far north and bring you against the mountains of Israel. Then I will knock the bow out of your left hand and cause the arrows to fall out of your right hand. In other words, I will destroy your armaments. And you shall fall upon the mountains of Israel, you and all your troops and the peoples who are with you. And I will give you to the birds of prey, to every sort, to the beast, to the field, to the beat of art. That sounds like Revelation 19 that we started out with, doesn't it? And you shall fall in the open field, for I have spoken, saith the Lord God, and I will send fire on Magog and on those who live in security in the coastlands, and then they shall know that I am the Lord, and I will make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel, and I will not let them profane my holy name any more. Then the nation shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. Surely it is coming. It shall be done, saith the Lord God. This is the day of which I have spoken. Then those who dwell in the cities of Israel will go out and set on fire and burn the weapons, both the shields and the bucklers and the bows and the arrows and the javelins and the spears, and they shall make fires with them for seven years. Well, forget about bows and arrows and spears and javelins, because we're talking about modern warfare. And all modern warfare, the tanks, the helicopters, the planes, <laughs> all of them needs fuel to run on. And so Israel is going to take that fuel and use it for themselves, plunder it for themselves. And they will not take wood from the field or cut down any from the forest because they will make fires with the weapons. And they will plunder those who plunder them and pillage those who pillage them, saith the Lord. And it will come to pass in that day that I will give Gog a burial place there in Israel. Russia and his allies 
which will probably include China. By the way, the river Euphrates is going to dry up. It's one of the, it's one of the, the bold plagues that God is going to give. And one of, the, one of them is the sixth one. The river Euphrates is going to dry up to allow the kings of the east to come and attack on the day of Armageddon. And China is one of the kings of the east. Maybe India too, we're not sure, but certainly China be one of them. So they come, and they're coming to, to bury Israel, and God says, well, I'm going to bury you in Israel. You've come to bury Israel, I'm going to bury you in Israel. It'll come to pass in that day, I will give God a burial place there in Israel, in the valley of those who pass by east of the sea. And it will obstruct, it will obstruct travelers. Again, that's, that's a, a, poor, a, a poor translation. Because again, the AV, and it should stop the noses of the, the stench. People have to put their hands to their noses because of the millions of bodies of bloated that are lying that the carrion birds are coming to feast on. Do you remember during the Gulf War when the Iraqi troops tried to hightail it back again out of Kuwait? You remember how the Americans, remember Storm and Norman, the great American general, and how they got that huge convoy, and boy, they just blasted it till there was nothing left. There was just a trail for miles of broken machinery and bodies. Can you imagine what it's going to be in this day when there's millions upon millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of combatants? It's going to be some scene. Therefore, they should call it the Valley of Hemengog, or a multitude. For seven months the house of Israel will be burying them in order to cleanse the land. Indeed, all the people of the land will be burying, and they will gain renown for it in the day that I am glorified, says the Lord God. And they will set apart men regularly employed. Undertaking is going to be a big industry in that day. They will set apart men regularly employed with the help of a search party to pass through the land and to bury those bodies remaining on the ground in order to cleanse it. And at the end of seven months, they will make a search, and the search party will pass through the land. When anyone sees a man's bone, he shall set up a marker by it till the bearers have buried it in the valley of Hamangog. The name of the city will be Hamoth, Hamanath. Thus they shall cleanse the land. They shall cleanse the land. And so, it is not going to go well for the Antichrist and his forces when it comes to Armageddon. Just one more portion of scripture before we close. Zechariah chapter 14. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, the one before that, Zechariah, and it's the very last chapter, chapter 14. And we're just winding up. It's a little bit longer tonight, but we're almost finished. So Zechariah 14. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst. And I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, the houses rifled, and the woman ravished. Half the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Now again, the battle of Armageddon, it would seem to be that there's this point in the battle where it looks like Israel is finished. It looks like Antichrist is going to defeat Israel. 
that Satan's dream to destroy Israel, God's nation, will finally be fulfilled. That's what it looks like. It comes to that point. But then, and it's a big but, God's got lots of buts in Scripture. But then something happens. Then the Lord will go forth and fight those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from the east to the west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move towards the north, north half towards the south. Then you shall flee through my mountain valley, for the mountain valley shall reach unto Ezel. Yes, you shall flee as you fled upon from the earthquake in the days of Isaiah, king of Judah. Thus saith the Lord, sorry, thus the Lord my God will come and all the saints with you. <laughs> hmm. That's who he's talking about, by the way. The Lord is going to come on a white horse. And he's going to come as the judge of all the earth. And he's going to come with a flaming sword, the sword of his mouth. And the armies that will be with him will be his saints, will be the people of God. And it shall come to pass in that day that there will be no light, the lights will diminish. It shall be one day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but at evening time it shall happen that it will be light. And in that day it shall be that living water shall flow from Jerusalem, from half of them towards the eastern sea, which is the Dead Sea, half of them towards the western sea, which is the Mediterranean Sea. In both summer and winter it shall occur. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day it shall be the Lord is one and his name is one. Amen. You remember the day of ascension, Jesus standing with his disciples in the Mount of Olives, and suddenly he rises up and he goes up to heaven. And the disciples are standing looking. The angel says, you men of Galilee, why are you standing looking up there? Do you not know that the same Jesus who went up there is going to come in like manner? His feet is going to come here. Do you not know that? Do you not know he's going to stand on this mountain again? Well, here it is. Only when he does, it'll split in two. And a great river will come from Jerusalem. <laughs> and the forces of Antichrist... And all those nations that are joined against Israel will see it. And what fear and consternation will come upon him. No wonder they'll fight against each other. It'll be marvelous. Jump down to verse 12. And this shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the people who fought against Jerusalem. Now, what you're about to read, some say this could be nuclear war. It certainly has got all the signs of it, but whether it actually is, we're not sure. But look, their flesh shall dissolve while they stand on their feet. Their eyes shall dissolve in their sockets and their tongues shall dissolve in their mouths. You know, when the, when the atom bomb fell in Nagasaki and Hiroshima, there was many people who were vaporized all you saw was a shadow of them on the wall. And there's people who, where they stood and where, when they ran, they began to dissolve. Their flesh dissolving. Such was the heat and the power 
So could that be nuclear power? It could be. God doesn't need nuclear power. He's powerful enough, but it could be. And it should come to pass in that day that a great panic from the Lord will be among them and everyone will seize the hand of his neighbor and raise his hand against his neighbor's hand. Huh. Let's just finish with, come back to Revelation 19. Verse 17, then I saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried with a loud voice saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of the heavens, come and gather together for the supper of the great God that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and those who sit on them and the flesh of all the people free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast, that's the Antichrist, the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. That's Jesus. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. <laughs> And that is the end of the Antichrist and the false prophet. That's them eternally finished and will be punished forever. And the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. You say, well, what's going to happen to the devil? Well, we haven't time to go into that tonight. The last few chapters of Revelation doesn't make very good reading for the devil. No. It'll make him very uncomfortable because his future is not looking too good. Thank you, Lord. Who was it says, if the devil reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future? <laughs> and it's not good. It's not good. And so there we are tonight. It's longer than I intended, but there you are. And so that's beginning to shape up right now as you watch your television and listen to the news. You say, is that going to happen next week? I don't think so. You say, what's Russia going to do in this present situation? Will they retaliate and fire rockets? I'm not too sure. There were cops coming up in Russia very soon. And it's a big publicity coup for Russia. And I don't think they'd want to mess that up. But then you're dealing with an ideology. You're dealing with, you're dealing with people who's got an ideology. Not just politics, but an ideology. And there's no telling what's in their brain. So we need to keep our finger on the pulse. But the one thing is for sure that God is in control of all of it. Nothing takes him by surprise. This old book that people laugh at and say it's fairy stories and it's nonsense and you can't believe it. Thousands of years that was written and it's as fresh as if it was written today. Amen. This is news that's right up to date today because it's prophecy written thousands of years ago.
And God keeps his word at all times. Should it take thousands of years to be fulfilled, it will be fulfilled. So let me ask you this as we close. Where are you going to be in the last days? I would not want to live in this world without Christ. I would not want to live in this world without the knowledge that's in this book. I would despair of what this world's happening. But I'm not in despair. I'm at peace. Because of a nuke dropped on Ireland tonight and we were all vaporized, it would be absent from the body and present with the Lord. It wouldn't matter. Why? Because we're ready to go. And that's nothing to do with us. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. We simply humbly ask Christ to come into our hearts and be the Lord of our lives. And we did that. He came in. And he made the difference. And he changed our lives forever. What about you tonight? Are you ready? Are you prepared? If the Lord should come, if World War III broke out, are you ready? Are you ready to go? If he comes or calls, you need to be ready. So let's pray. I don't know all of you, and I don't know your position before Christ tonight. And that being the case, I'm going to give you the opportunity to get ready, to be ready. I wish I could make you do this, but I can't. And if I could, it wouldn't be worth anything. Only you can make the decision. Only you can make the choice. All I can do is give you the opportunity to say yes to Christ tonight. And if you do that, I promise you, your life will change forever. And many of us have done that and can prove to you that it changed us. We are just simply sinners saved by God's grace. Thank you, Lord. We're not holier than now. We don't even pretend to be. We're sinners saved by grace. And that can be your testimony tonight. And so, as we're bowed in prayer, I'm going to give you the opportunity. I'm going to ask you in a moment, will you receive Christ tonight as your Lord and Savior? Will you be prepared to pray a simple prayer from your heart just where you sit and invite Jesus to be your Savior? And if you do, your life will change. And this book will become a living book to you. It'll become alive. And you'll see things that you've never seen before. And you'll find the purpose of your life. So while we're bowed in prayer, there's anybody tonight, any man, any woman, any boy or any girl, you want to receive Christ tonight, here's what exactly what I want you to do. I'm not going to invite you to come to the front or stand to your feet even, but just simply to raise your hand and let me know that you want to pray this prayer with me. And if you do that, I'll acknowledge it. And then you can put your hand down again and then we'll pray this prayer. So if that's you tonight, and if you feel in your heart 
You have a decision to make, then I encourage you to make it tonight and become truly born again of God's Spirit. So will you do that? All right. If you want to do that, put up your hand and put it down again. And then we'll pray this prayer. Thank you. Anybody else? And Christ will come into your life. Bible says today is a day of salvation. Today is accepted time. We, we have no other moment than now. We can't have tomorrow because we're not there yet. May not happen for us. But only tonight. So do you want to join this person who responded tonight? If you want to do that, one more opportunity. Do it right now. And then we'll pray. Right, that person may put up your hand. I'm going to pray this prayer. I want you to pray it in your heart. And as you pray it in your heart and believe it, and trust Christ to be your Savior, he that comes to me, I will not cast away, the Bible says. So pray this with me. Lord God, I come to you tonight and I realize that I am a sinner and I want you and need you to be my savior. Lord Jesus, forgive me all of my sins. Come into my life tonight. Come in right now and be my savior and my Lord and help me from this point forward, to live for you and to be your child. I give you my life tonight, and I thank you for salvation. Thank you for giving your life for me. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Bless the Lord. Good. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.